This is Tom Cosgrove, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan Jones, and to my left, Roy Thomason here. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Usually I say your name. (laughs) Usually I say your name. That's all right. I can introduce myself. Uh, Absolutely. You're a grown man. Uh, welcome to another another off season. God, you know, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. I could care less. The game is actually going on right now as we speak, and we are watching none of it. Yes, I have it on in the TV in the living room, but I, whatever. I, I don't. I don't care. I, I, I. It's a hot take. I don't think anything is a sport other than baseball. Everything else is just an activity. Uh, sure, they're athletes. I'm not questioning people being athletes. Soccer players are athletes. Uh, just. The skill uh, level that baseball has, I think, is uh, far exceeds anything that football or soccer or I'm hockey. I, I like hockey. Ho- if there's going to be other sport that I can think is a sport, it's hockey because I, I can't ice skate and be it's that puck and it's they're hauling ass. You have a very narrow definition of a sport. I, I'm very narrow minded. I'm very I, I have a lot of respect for tennis players too. I there there's some amazing. I, it's it's a it, I, what you call it a game. It's a game, right? It's an activity game. Soccer's an activity. Everything else could be a game. Because, uh, I mean, look at the size of the racket. The racket's huge, and it's huge. It's like a <laughs> dinner plate. You know, and you're hitting a ball, and it's already elastic or, you know, it's rubber, not, it's bouncy, whatever. Um, I don't know. So I, I, I'm a baseball guy. I, uh, I don't care if it's football. And the other team left, the, uh, the, the football team left. I was a bandwagon fan when they were here. Um, I play baseball on Sunday, so I don't care. Yeah, now I I keep checking Twitter and hoping to see something about Harper or Machado yeah. or somebody signing, <laughs> but it's all this football stuff. And it's like, no, let's let's get this game over with, so that everybody can stop talking about football, and then baseball can finally take the stage. Yeah, and I really think that's going to be the case. I, I think uh, you know, obviously, it's the easy thing to say is after the Super Bowl, someone's going to sign. I think this next week or two. You know, the, the players are, you know, I, I don't know. They be their choice. They already have their choices. I'm going to wait till they get all the limelight instead of having it Super Bowl, then them talking about where they're going. Um, the collective world is waiting for them to sign. And as a Padre fan, um, I even tweeted like Machado would ruin the payroll. Uh, as soon as I heard we were talking to him, I'm like, yeah, th- I'm okay with that. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm so starved as a Padre fan. For to sign a real baseball player, like when we got Justin Upton, I was like, "Oh my god, we have a real baseball player!" Like someone is like can hit the baseball, and um, I didn't think James Shields was that good of a signing. I didn't think Matt Kemp was a good of a signing. When we got Kimbrel, I was like, "Holy cow, um, that's a baseball player!" Yeah, but this if, if whatever moves happen this, now, we're getting lost on major league stuff. But and that's okay. whatever that's, moves that's, they wind up doing, I don't think it's going to be quite to the magnitude of the. 2015 season where they kind of flipped everything upside down, dumped yeah. out a whole bunch of talent out of the out of the minor leagues to yeah. try to feel, field a roster that wound up failing. That 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 wouldn't they would be adding a couple of key pieces here and there to flesh out a roster. Right. And that was a very exciting time. We had the winter meetings here in San Diego and I actually I remember running up to I ran into um, Buddy Black uh in the in the hallway at the Hyatt and I'm like, "So what do you think, buddy?" Um Justin Upton or Matt Kemp? And he's like, well, why can't we have both? He was like the gift. Like, why can't we have both? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think the thing was we had more control with Upton than we did with Kemp or one year with either one of the two guys. And uh, But that was very exciting. And just to kind of prolong that whole idea, because it's been a lot of talk. It's been a lot of excitement. I've been like, now we've talked to Harper. and, And there's tons of these zero followers, fake accounts, Throwing out numbers and figures and sources and crap. And it's so much fun to watch. Paul Crane. And ooh, I put that on my website. 2000, like two follower MLB guy. I don't, I don't know. Um, I would like to have, if I can have the choice Christmas present Santa, I'd take Harper. My opinion has changed a little bit as the offseason's gone by. Because as it started out, and we need a third baseman. Mm. Um, Machado seems to fit on paper. But then the fact that like early in the offseason, I heard that Harper had asked for data about the different minor league systems. Yeah. 
And that's that's a thoughtful thing. If he's going to go play somewhere for the next 10 years, who's going to be coming up around him? That's that's a, a good thing to ask. And then hearing that Machado wants to stay on the East Coast and um, isn't so willing to talk to Padres ma- uh, management, it, it gives me some pause about, may, okay, if the guy doesn't want to be here, then maybe he'll be reluctant. Maybe he'll be... You, the, the not a team player like everybody says right. meanwhile you've got harper who got married in san diego you've got there's that clip that somebody dug up that where he's at the all-star game he's going man i love this place i love this place and it's didn't like, wilmar say wait queso <laughs> yeah <laughs> somebody said something and i tried to i tried to like listen to what he did say but he's like yeah i mean who doesn't love san diego um but it's true because if if, the, if you sign to the Nationals, and we'll just go on with this, it's a slow news week with minor league baseball. Um, there's only a few years of competitive, uh, kind of that window is almost kind of closing with the Nationals. Well, I was looking at their payroll; they're already right at the um, the luxury tax penalty. Yeah. So if they signed him, that would put them way over. Yeah. And they'd have to make other moves or something to make that happen, or they'd be paying a bunch of tax. Yeah. And then a couple more years down the road, one or two or three years, Scherzer's done. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't name any yeah, of the Zimmerman's rotation. done. Rendon yeah. may go somewhere. I mean, there's all kinds of... A Strasburg. Yeah. Who knows? All right. But yeah, I would still, I would, you know, if I had my choice, I would take Harper and... Uh, and be okay with it. Yeah. Uh, but let's get on to what we do know. And what we do know is Fernando Tatis Jr. is done playing Winter League Baseball. He will not be, uh, he will not participate in the Caribbean World Series uh, in order to get ready for spring training. So to break that down a little bit, there you've got a Venezuelan league. There's a league in Panama, the Mexico League, the Dominican League. And then after all of those leagues are done, the winning team goes and plays this mega tournament that's the Caribbean Series. Yeah. Uh, but since players are starting to report to spring training, uh, a lot of the play, a lot of the major league players that have been participating in the winter leagues, they no longer are participating because obviously they have a more important thing to do for somebody that's got them on contract. Right. So that's the case with Tatis. Um, he was really the last active player in the Caribbean, in the in the winter leagues. Yeah. Um, but in other news, in Australia, Australia just wrapped up their league. Ryan Bollinger was on the winning team there. Um, he's a new name to everybody because he was signed as a minor league free agent, but he was in the Yankee system for quite some time. Not to be confused with Brian Bollinger. Brian, yeah, Brian Bowringer, <laughs> Ryan Bollinger, two different guys. Um, and then in the Mexican league, Esteban Carroz, I believe he was on the team that won the Mexican league. Yeah. So it was neat watching on on Instagram, seeing all the feeds from these guys, watching all the parties and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. God, it seems like the you know Tatis's team and the Estrellas has just been partying it up all week. Well, I the thought, whole story behind that, you read the Dennis Lynn article, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So the fact that that city hasn't won for so long, and yet there's such a deep heritage of baseball there, I of course it's going to be a big... Well, watch what happens here when a World <laughs> Series finally comes to San Diego and they win. We're going to throw a big freaking party too. I think we should go full on 1984 Detroit and just burn the city down. No, 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 no. Yes! Let's not flip cars. We don't need to set dumpsters on fire. There's no need to cause damage to life or property, but let's just all go out in the streets and have a huge party. Okay, I could do it. California burritos (laughs) and IPAs for everybody. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I remember the 84 series in Detroit won. They swept us in. What Detroit do? They like I saw car fire, cars were on fires, cars were being flipped, things were being broken. But what it, happened in San Diego? All the fans came out, tens of thousands of people came out yes. to 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 thank the team for what a great ride. We had great participation trophy for showing up to the World Series. Oh, a little golf club. it like that. Oh. Uh, I know. <laughs> I'm playing the devil's advocate yeah. because because miserable Padre fan is my president. <laughs> Anyways, I but. And I just want to say this real quick. Because the last video that I saw of Tatis, and I don't know if it was a personal party or what kind of party, but him doing the crotch thrusting, I finally, I, my first thought was like, repulsive. Oh my God, I can't believe that's, then I'm like, oh yeah, he's 19 freaking years old. And it's a cultural thing too. Absolutely. And in the Latin countries, it's a whole different, the way that they party, it's totally different. Yeah. We don't party like that in America. No, no, we're not hip thrusters. No, on grinding on other dudes. <laughs> right, I mean, right. 
<laughs> well, I just, it was nice. I'm like, my first thought was like, God, I'm so Puritan with the, he can't be doing that. He should be more grown up. And then I'm like, God, let him do it. Yeah. It's 1968. He's I wasn't even born 20. when they won the last uh, championship series. Yeah. Rumor has it, you were doing some pretty dumb stuff when you were 20. Oh my God. You, <laughs> I, I can't say it on the air because I could probably get arrested for it still. <laughs> um, but I want to give a shout out. Well, so I watched baseball today. Yeah. If you guys follow the Twitter handle today, I, uh, uh, UCSD had their home opener, and I went. We went and watched the game for about an hour before we uh, shot up to Marietta to uh, eat food and watch some sporting event, which is why I go to the sporting event parties is for the food. Um, and I uh, got some video, threw some out to the the Prospect Live guys, and I'm mean, just because that's what I do. Actual, real baseball. Baseball, saw home runs, saw double plays, saw pitching. Um, uh, Jonah DePoto, uh, Jerry DePoto's son pitches for UCSD. And uh, he was throwing 91 and 93. I, I was sitting right next to the, when there was one scout in attendance. And usually at the UCSD game, there's there's a good, there's like five or six scouts, you know. Uh, and then there's also colleges that are there looking at, you know, advanced scouts for the colleges. And there was one scout there and I was a couple seats over and I just videotape and look over. Oh, 91. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> slider 80. Nice. <laughs> and um, it's funny because last season, it was the mid-season uh, me and Liddy went to a game, and this guy in this Seattle Mariners jacket came walking down with where the scouts were, and like everyone like sat up and were like, "Hey, good to see you! Hey, good to see you! Good looking guy." He looked familiar to me. I think I might have said this back, back, back episodes later, but he looked familiar. I'm like, God, he looks familiar. But what GM wears? You know the jacket of their team that they are GM for. You know what I mean? I thought it was just some guy. I don't know. Um, and then, like, then I went home, like, oh yeah, Jerry Depoto's son played for the for UCSD. Uh, but I got to watch baseball, and that was great. So uh, from here, I went up to Marietta, and what I found is Robert Stock and his brother have a podcast. Yes, yeah, about try harder, the try harder podcast, the try harder podcast. Yeah, I've listened. I'm about an episode and a half in now, and there's two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> what you think? I dug it. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I liked hearing. So the part that I liked hearing was Robert talking about his whole how we actually got signed, mm. and um, how it wasn't necessarily a mechanical. Now I thought that there was something mechanical, something training wise that right. unlocked this velocity for him. But really, it doesn't sound like it. Sounds like all he did was get out there and throw as hard as he freaking could yeah. until he started throwing harder and harder and harder. And one day he hit a hundred. His his now wife, his girlfriend at the time, was yeah. video recording it, put it up on YouTube. Facebook. And a Facebook group grabbed onto it of former pros, and they said, somebody's got to sign this guy. And that's how he got signed. And he, But even talking about how he was talking to Cincinnati, and then he talked to the Padres, and the contract, and the negotiation, it was really interesting. Yeah. But it's it's Robert and his brother Richard, and there's... And I, I love the, the back and forth. Yeah. You can tell how competitive these guys are. Yeah. And so we were, we were going, he was, he was telling the story about how Richard was out throwing for someone and he threw like 95. Yeah. And Robert had a bad bullpen that day and he threw off his windbreaker, said, screw this. I'm going to go out there. And he just started pumping it because there will never be a day when you throw harder than me. Yeah. yeah. Like he said, Richard, you, you need to throw hard at hundred. So I can go 103. Uh-huh. Um, but I love the, the, the was fascinating to me was the talk of the indie ball stuff, the indie, like, mm-hmm. you know, the minor, you talk about the minor leagues being like, you know, you, he said like, you know, the minor league spread might be a salad and maybe some grilled chicken. Uh, indie ball is like whatever's left over in the concession. So it'll be like pizza, corn dogs. And if you see the picture, if you guys literally, when you're done listening to this podcast, turn it on the try harder podcast or go to find Robert stock on Twitter. Um, the picture they have for like episode one is a picture of him in indie ball. And he looks like he's got, he's chubby, dude. He's fat. He was a big boy. He's a big boy. Yeah. And you can uh, see he's stretching the buttons on his Jersey. <laughs> and cause he's brought, you know, playing indie ball, eating crap. Yes. Um, because well, they're trying to live on no income. Right. Right. So they're eating all the hot dogs and popcorn that's left in the concession stands and then going and hitting McDonald's in between or whatever. It, yeah. Eating junk. And you're trying to be, you know, at least a, an athlete. Yeah. In, in independent ball. Um, I also I thought it was really interesting how the second episode, when they're talking about stretching, and he's like, I don't, like, I caught your bullpen today. 
You didn't do any arm exercises to warm up. You just went in and threw 15, 25 fastballs. And then what was your uh, post-arm uh, care? And Robert's like, uh, nothing. I didn't do anything. Huh. Um, and I, which I thought was fascinating because I thought, you know, if you even, even in the off season, you're throwing bullpens, you're, you know, you're doing your, your pre-arm care, you're mm-hmm. doing your throat bullpen and then post-arm care, you're icing down or you're stretching or whatever. If you listen to it, he talks none of that. And he almost downplays it almost a little bit to like, it was, I was interesting. I sent that to Jason Wardell and the boys over at Prospect Live because when they talk about the scouts have eyes and you hear anyone else talk about the care that they have for their arms as an athlete, it's like, yeah, I, I, this is all the stuff I do pre, this is my post, this is my post-workout meal or my drink or my whatever. He's like, no, I just showed up through my bullpen, threw a couple sliders and that was it. That's crazy. Yeah. And you know, the scouts, they that's one of the things that they scout is how well does player X prepare and recover because they need to be concerned about health. Yeah. Yeah. But, and the whole great thing about like the first one was an interview with his brother interviewing Robert. And the second one was just them talking about it. And he's like, so now that you have a, so what's different this time, this off season, he's like, there's no urgency. I like, I have a plan. Mm-hmm. I do it. I don't have this impending need to find velocity, find control to do all this hard work when he's got a job. He yeah. has a plan and a, uh, he has a he has an off-season schedule. He's throwing, but just for mainly just keeping the arm fresh. Mm-hmm. Um and he knows what he's doing. And it was funny cuz it's like yeah, they called me and uh they asked me how I was doing and I was like I'm fine. Good. <laughs> you know the Padres called him like, "Hey, what's going on? How you doing?" And Robert's like, I- "I'm good." <laughs> What do you guys want? I have a feeling that he's downplaying a lot of that. I'm sure he is, probably for the podcast. Yeah, and but it's funny and and it's almost alarming because of like you would think he's a pro athlete, like you know every ounce of food, you know every movement that you make, and he's like, I just throw the baseball as hard as I can, and then I'm working on a slider, huh? And you see the stuff on Twitter from the driveline guys, uh, and the they talked about the. uh, Rep Soto. Rep Soto. Yeah. Um, if you guys see it on Twitter, I'm sure all you guys uh, have seen it on Twitter where it's a skeleton. And then you see the arm and the skeleton is throwing. And then there'll be like red, green, yellow, where it's like peak efficiency, low efficiency. And they were talking about that too. It's like mm-hmm. when Dave over here from the major leagues was pitching, peak efficiency is at 99. You know, all this, what's the word again? Rap Soto. Rap Soto. Uh, I don't know why I can't remember that word. But then his brother's like, so we look at yours, and it's like 70% efficiency. <laughs> if that's the, the case, then, then there's more in the tank. I think so. So this quest to throw 105, yeah. maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Well, And so he asked him, his brother asked him, he was like, hey, why didn't – so I caught your bullpen today, and you were only throwing 95 or 96. He's like, well, I'm not in a game. Mm-hmm. So I'm the not, intensity's not there. The, the the and he really talked about the emotion, yeah. the adrenaline, the the you know the you're in a major league game, so there's that heightened sense of like you better do well, you better know what you're doing, and and just the adrenaline where you get that extra few miles per hour. He's like, no, that's right through, you know. And I just it was fascinating. It it uh it, it was really fascinating. They've got two episodes. Uh, but I, I dug it. I listened to that on the way up to a Murrieta in the rain. So you, you mentioned the international ball. And I got a question. So you play San Diego adult baseball, which yes. is kind of, it's like a rec league kind of, right? Incredibly rec league, yeah. So what? How? what's the gap between that and some kind of an unaffiliated? Well, I, I tell you what. Um, when I was playing, when I was younger, I'd been playing for 15-odd years. Uh, when I was playing the younger divisions in the 18s, a couple of guys that I hit against got drafted like, okay they don't i mean that's so rare so rare um i can't remember the kid's name he got picked up by the phillies and i got hit a double off him i got a couple walks i just one of those days we were just on fire uh he ended up making it as far as double a and i kind of followed him for a little bit just to like oh dude i yeah i hit off that guy uh-huh. um but it, it's guys our league is guys that think they're going to the show that they act like they're going to the show and you're, dude, you're 40 years old. You're not like, <laughs> you can say what's up when I'm on first base. You don't have to big league me, dude. It's like, uh-huh. come on, we all have day jobs. Um, it's f- far removed. 
Uh, well, we, but you're talking about like the 40 and up league. I'm talking about even the 18s. Really? Even the 18 AA guys are are guys that, you know, that probably played local college ball or um, I mean, no one comes and plays. Because you get a, a former pro coming in every once in a while, right? Occasionally, like Steve Finley played. Um, uh, Woods, Steve, you know, Woodsy had uh, Heath Bell come and play. But, okay. You know, and that's, he only pitched a little bit. Um, but there's no one like getting the reps in playing yeah. rec ball. I, I heard a story that somebody was talking, uh, they were playing in, a, in an adult league and they, this guy shows up and the coach says, yeah, let him pitch for an inning. And this guy came in and started throwing the most ridiculous hammer curve balls he'd ever seen. Mm. And it was Burt Blylevin. Oh. After he'd retired. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so that, that reminds me. So I saw a couple of cool videos yesterday. Um, uh, Roger Clemens at age 57 pitched in an alumni game. Was that a two seamer? Was that a was that a slider? A little cut. It, it must have been a slider. Yeah. It had art. It had glove side run. Yeah. It dove down and out. I mean, he looked like he could go out there and throw a couple innings. Yeah. And then I also saw in Japan there was some some promotional game and Hideo Nomo was out there pitching. Now he looked like he was going at about seventy percent, right? But what I th- liked best was bloop fly ball to right field. Right fielder went and caught it behind his back. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. Well, did you see the other video where the guy was a uh, soft tossing and hitting ten, hitting nine, hitting yeah. like, around the all infield? the targets. Dude, that was freaking awesome. That was so cool. Okay, so we we do have. I we just have... raised up my hand to roll. I'm like, do we get like? Three minutes. I know we we have we have an interview. Actually, we have two interviews lined up for today. Uh, but before we cut to that, we do need to give some shout outs to some listeners um, that have been all over Twitter recently. So Donovan, take it away. Well, we have Aussie fan uh, Rico at Aussie Fryer. Him and his daughter listen to the podcast, and they tweeted earlier this week. Uh, we love fryers on the farm, and he had some like pictures like three years ago when their daughter was really young, and then another you know another year older. Like for a toddler, it's a three year challenge. Well, he said it's an opening day. Yes. Tradition for them. Yes. And he had an interesting question for uh, for Wayne Partello and for the Padres because he wants to be a member. He wants to have some form of membership benefits without having season tickets. Right. Which is an interesting question. Um, being an international person, how can you do that? But then he wants to have some sort of tie to the team. Is that was a really neat question about how like how small our world is and how baseball, being a Padres fan, you don't have to be in San Diego to do it. You don't no. have to be in America to do no. it. Speaking of after Ozzy Fryer, we have Padres UK, who, um, same thing, he can't read any SD, uh, Union Tribune articles, Kevin, he can't read any Kevin A. Oh, that's right, they're like blocked in his country. Because he's in the UK. <laughs> um, but he's a huge fan, and like, baseball is going to go over their next season, I think the Red Sox and Oakland A's are playing. Okay. Over the, it's called the London Series, so Baseball Brit, uh, he was at the Winter Meetings. They do, they have Padres UK, they have Phillies UK, they have all the major league teams have someone... You know, other teams of varying degrees of followers and participation, but like they have a whole like major league following over there on top of a budding like rec baseball or either it's even pro baseball. But to me, it looks like just overpriced rec ball. Well, because they, they didn't grow up playing baseball. Right. right. It's all cricket and soccer. Yeah. Um, But he he's going to be in Vegas. Like the same week that pitches and catches report, and I'm like, dude, you four hours. Like I even Google, I'm like four hours from Vegas to PR. It's four and a half hours. Spend four hours, go down there, spend the day. Tell me from you know as soon as they hear your accent, they're gonna go like, oh, dude, we want your picture. You know, uh-huh. like, I'm Padres UK. Padres followed him, and I'm sure he's like, hey, this is when I'll be down there. Just say hi to me. I don't yeah. care. It's like guys coming across the pond. You know, and we need as many Padre fans as possible. So did you see the big drive that he was pushing over the weekend? Uh, yes. So they wanted to become, the, they're trying to get more followers yeah. than the Dodgers, the Dodgers UK or whatever their handle yeah. is. And he did it. So now the Padres UK has more Twitter followers than any other team in the National League West. And I think there's only two teams in the National League, Philadelphia and the Cubs, I think, yeah. that have more followers yeah. in Britain than the Padres. Beat, Pod, uh, beat UK LA. <laughs> Hashtag. So I'm going totally off map we're here. And I know off we're, we're right on top. We're... We've got somebody that we need to get to, but yeah, he's um, gonna be calling any minute here. Go when ahead. the Rockets signed uh, Yao Ming, all of a sudden Rockets merchandising in China went through the roof. Yeah, and it was such a huge marketing opportunity to grow the brand like that. Yeah, and baseball needs to start thinking globally. So, and, well, they have with the World Baseball Classic, but absolutely mm-hmm. with the with 
with eleven series. They're starting to do that. Yeah, well, they're, they're going to start the season in Japan. They've played professional. They played actual MLB games in Australia now. I think. Yeah, but they need to do more of it. Yeah, it's a lot Absol- of fun. Absolutely. Hey, so before we get uh, to Tom Cosgrove, you can catch us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. I have us. We are live on all your podcast thingy things. All right, so now we're going to roll to an interview with Tom Cosgrove. Tom Cosgrove drafted in the 12th round in 2017 out of Manhattan College. Another lefty and a quality starting pitcher in a very deep system. Tom spent the entire 2018 season in Fort Wayne with 21 starts and 24 appearances. In 116 innings, he had 122 punch-outs and only 34 walks for a 9.44K per nine. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, this is Tom Cosgrove, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. <laughs> All right. We'll crop that out right we'll there. We'll crop Perfect. that right the hell out. Dude, welcome. So, uh, we... Well, I thought that was what I was supposed to say. Well, no, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're from Manhattan. Are you from, from Staten Island, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was born in the Bronx, and I lived in the Bronx for the first like six or seven years of my life. Then we moved over to Staten Island. So, real quick, we a uh, Yankees fan or a Mets fan? Mets fan. Living in the Bronx was kind of weird. I was uh, I lived like 10 minutes from Yankee Stadium, and I was a Mets fan growing up. I don't know why. Yes, but, well, uh... exactly. Well, you know, I'm born and raised here in San Diego, so I'm a Padre fan. And, you know, if you, you know a little bit about the system now that you're in it, but it's been really rough being a Padre fan here in San Diego. Um, well, and we still have raw nerves from what happened in 1998, which was a million years ago to you, but <laughs> I, I still remember that. And so there's still some form of hatred, which doesn't make any sense. Just the Padres ran into one of the best teams of all time, but still we have a right to dislike the Yankees. And my, and my yeah. wife grew up a Mets fan, so she uh, and her father is still a Mets fan to this day. So yeah. we do follow the Mets after the Padres are out of it. We follow the Mets. So are you in a household full of Mets fans? Yeah, um, my dad was a Mets fan. My grandpa was a Mets fan. But um, most of my friends are Yankees fans, and they always get like super excited every year. The Yankees are great. They're going to be great. But I don't really feel – I never felt the excitement, you know, when you know your team's going to be good. You know, they're going to be uh, – playing in the playoffs. I think it's more fun when your team's like, got to like, dude, right. The underdog. You gotta, yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta start from the bottom and you gotta build it up and you gotta like 2015 when the Mets were in it, everybody was super excited and it didn't work out, but like still, it was still fun. Cause everybody, it was, it was such a long time coming. So it was just that much more exciting, you know, when you're a Yankees fan and like it's every year playoffs, world series, I feel like it's just a little less that, uh, it matters a little less, you know? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we talked to Jack Sawinski a while ago, and he's a White Sox fan, but everybody in his household's a Cubs fan, it seems. That's yeah. just yeah. interesting hearing, all, hearing about that stuff. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you grew up in uh, Staten Island. You're a Mets fan. Um, you chose to go to Manhattan College. Did you have other offers somewhere else, or why did you stay so close to home? So when I was, um, I was a sophomore when I, came, I committed to Manhattan, so I was, I was pretty young. Like, that's pretty young. But um, I just really love the coaching staff there. And um, the head coach is a really great guy, Jim Duffy. And we connected really well. And then after I verbally committed to Manhattan, it was kind of later on when I got offers from bigger schools and stuff like that. But I just decided to um, stay committed with my verbal and just go to Manhattan because I felt really comfortable there. But, um, yeah, I had I had offers from bigger schools after the fact I committed, but verbally committed, I should say. So. Did you but, have any um, yeah. interest from pro teams as, as high, your, your high school numbers are incredible. Yeah. So were yeah. any uh, pro scouts interested in you? Not really. There was a, there was a few that I was connected from, from little league. It was like, just like kind of friendly connections that like looked at me for like a favor kind of, but it was never, I was never really a, a big prospect out of uh, high school. I think it was cause like the competition in um, New York city baseball really isn't that great. So like there was, I played against a lot of good kids, but it just really wasn't that big of an atmosphere. You know what I mean? So it was kind of just like, yeah, I really didn't get much exposure in high school to uh, pro teams. Well, and now after talking to Gabe Moser and some other people, I you're you're from a cold weather climate. Um, yeah, and I I feel like there isn't as much focus on scouting cold weather pitchers and players because you guys don't get to play all year long. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like Florida, California, Texas. Yeah. I think um, especially as a 
as a pitcher and a position as a pitcher i feel like it's kind of less important as a position player like getting reps year round like i think that's huge and even when i was in high school we went down like anytime we had a big tournament it was down in georgia or florida so like it was kind of known that like anytime you wanted to get exposure you were going down there and even even in high school like most of my exposure to college teams was never at like high school games or anything it was always uh in travel bowl or summer leagues and we went down to uh florida and georgia so yeah so did you did you play any other sports growing up or was baseball uh 365 a year um i played hockey and basketball when i was younger i was pretty good at hockey i wasn't bad but basketball is absolutely horrible at so i kind of knew that uh (laughs) yeah it was really bad like we had i I was so bad that we had plays to like try to get me some more points because everybody felt bad for me (laughs) everybody passed the ball to tom the sympathy no it was we had like we had plays where like if we were winning by a lot or losing by a lot like i wouldn't play defense I would stay on offense and my friends would get rebounds and like throw the ball all the way to the other side of the court. And I was just hanging out, hanging around down there. No defense was on me because I didn't play defense because we were just trying to get me as many points as possible because people felt bad for me. But so hockey was, I, I liked hockey, but baseball was my main sport for sure. All the way. So once upon a time, you weren't only a pitcher. Um, what other positions did you play? Um, and did you, at what point did you wind up focusing only on pitching? So I was, I played first base and outfield up until I was like a junior in high school. Probably. I guess being a being a left-handed thrower that kind of yeah, limits that was you. like that was the only option. They're not going to put you behind the dish. I, I actually I always wanted to be a catcher, and my dad was like, "No, no, no, you're not a catcher, you're a lefty." I was like, "That's a that's the stupidest rule I ever heard." He actually used to tell me that it was like a rule, like it was a real rule that lefties couldn't catch. <laughs> I'm so left- I was like, "Who who made this rule?" I really. I'm left-handed but, too, so I, we've been living in a right-handed <laughs> world. You, yeah. right-handed world. Yeah, there, there's so gonna be one good. soon. There's like a stigma against the left-handed catcher. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. That I've seen some interesting articles written about it. There's no yeah. reason. That's because the it's right-handed right. batters it, but against yeah, our arm, with the so bat thrown out the second base. But like, I don't know. I'm not buying it. But whatever. Nice. I was a pretty good. Def- I was a pretty good defender. I was. I was pretty good at first base. Pretty good in the outfield. But like hitting was really just not my thing. Ah, really poor. Okay. Really poor hitter. But you're not a pitcher that rakes. No, I'm not. And you know what? I feel like most of the pitchers that say that they're not either. They just like <laughs> to hear themselves say that. <laughs> I'm not lying to myself. I'm not lying to anybody. So I wasn't a great hitter, but I can control the bat a little bit. Just no power. But I got pretty athletic. I think I could get it done if I if I have to hit in the future, which I should. So. All right. So uh, speaking of pitching, so what? Uh, tell our listeners what what repertoire do you have? What what pitches? What velocity? What do you got going on? So I'm like a, a fastball, curveball kind of guy. My changeup is pretty subpar, but I'm working on it. Um, so as a starter, I definitely need three or four pitches. So fastball, curveball, changeup. Um, my fastball is like low to mid 90s. I can get it up there to like 95. But um, I think my curveball is definitely my best pitch. And um, this offseason, like, that's been my main goal, trying to get my curveball to, like, really be a weapon. Okay. So, I I used it – I always use it, and it's always been good, but I've never, like, really been, like, okay, like, knew how to use it as a weapon, like, off my fastballs and stuff. So, that's pretty much been my goal this uh, past full season and this offseason, learning how to use it off my fastball and stuff. And then uh, mixing around my change-up grips and stuff, trying to – really trying to make that uh, – a pitch I can go to and go to it comfortably. Okay. So has anybody been working with you on different, different grips or different, have you been using any kind of like technology or anything like that to try to figure out what to optimize? Yeah, or? yeah for sure. So after the season this year, I went to, uh, I went to instructs and, um, Eric young, our pitching coordinator was, uh, was like really, really like pushing the rap soda machine on me and like yeah. looking at my curveball real close. And like, I learned stuff about my curveball and, two weeks i've been doing the same curveball since i was in high school and i've never known how it was exactly coming out of my hand and how it's spinning and stuff so it was like really interesting and like helpful to see how it was coming out of my hands and stuff with that rap soda machine so i think that um i think that looking at that really uh is gonna is gonna help me a lot with my um curveball consistency and what i'm doing with it so So i'm excited to uh did you change your your grip or your release or no, I I didn't change I didn't change my release or my grip. I just kind of just kind of learning more about how it's coming out of my hand 
So like if the balls on like an access, like what access I wanted to come off on and all that stuff. Like I was never, I never knew about any of this stuff before instructs this year. So it was just interesting to see like how it's actually coming out of my hand and how I want it to come out of my hand. Cause I always just knew it was coming out of my hand this way. This is how I throw it. Right. But I never knew. I never knew like the exact, like, you know, tilt and, and all that stuff. Yeah, so it was like, good to see it to actually like when I'm thinking about it to actually know, like, how it's coming out of my hand. Yeah, and you know, the pitching coach goes, you know, he's getting under the curveball. Get on top of it. Get on top of it. Well, yeah, what does that exactly. mean? Oh, and this I'm like, is what yeah, it looks I'm getting like. on top of it for sure, but I <laughs> I wasn't. And like, yeah, exactly. It's that's, good to actually see up close. Dude, that's tight. So back in college, uh, you had long flowing locks of hair. Was that inspired <laughs> by Jacob deGrom? And it looks like you're, it looks like you're bringing that back a little bit. I actually had it before Jacob deGrom. I think I, think <laughs> I need to clear that up. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob DeGrom copied me, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> nice. But no, um but uh yeah, I, I went to college and I was never a big haircut guy. Like got a couple haircuts here and there from like my neighbor or something. Well, I mean they, I they cost school. money. Right. So Yeah, exactly. You could be I've... spending that ten bucks on something else. <laughs> exactly. Ten bucks a month goes a long way after three or four years. But, um, yeah, so I got to college, and I just never found the barber, and it just kind of kept going and kept going. And then at some point, I was just like, I'm actually going to make this a thing and just not cut it. So, I, You were clean-shaven all summer or all season, right? You yeah. a little beard going now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was in college, my, my coach was, like, big on professionalism and, like, being clean-shaven, so we were always clean-shaven. Right. And I um, – I never knew I could grow a beard until this off season. Actually, oh, it's kind go... of the same thing happened. I was just like always, just never shaved, and it kind of just happened. <laughs> You're gonna go uh, mountain man or do the big old handlebar mustache thing? A keiko? Ah, <laughs> uh, maybe I will. I don't know. That's an idea. I never thought about it until now. Well, so you, we'll as soon as you get out to Phoenix, you'll be like, uh, no, I'm cutting all this stuff off. Well, if you going. show up, if you show up and <laughs> everything's working, then you just gotta let yeah. it go. Yeah, you gotta let it go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Are Are you superstitious at all? No, I'm not. I wish I was, and it would be like a little more exciting. But <laughs> not even about numbers or anything like that. Nope, nothing. All right, so we got a little dirt. While you set up the next question, we got a little dirt. Uh, Gabe Moser, right? Uh-huh. Gabe Moser is odd numbers for him. So everything, any, it has to be an even number. It can't be an odd number. Like the volume on the TV. Like t- TV channel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're number thirteen, Moser. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> So, uh, tell us, do you have any good stories from playing summer leagues? Where do you play summer leagues? Uh, in college? Yeah. So, my, my first, I only played uh, my after my freshman year and after my sophomore year. So, my first year I went to uh, the Vermont Mountaineers and the NECBL. Okay. And that was, like, the best, the best summer of my life, I think. I had a really good time. I met a lot of good guys that I still play with. Like, I see them when playing pro, like pro ball. It's really, really cool to see. These guys I played with my some random summer in 2015. Like I thought I'd never see these again, but it was a really good time. Uh, I had a great host family. I had a lot of fun, a lot of good dudes, and we uh, we won the championship that year. So that was really cool. We got a nice ring. Nice. Um, so and, and it kind of sets you up for playing in high pressure yeah, situations, that's being able to you know yeah. perform. Yeah, for when you sure. Need I, to. I started the championship game. It was a lot of fun. Um, nice. And then you played in the Cape Cod League your second summer, right? Summer I played in the Cape Cod League for a little bit. I had a um a temporary contract with the Chathamese, which was an awesome place, like really exciting. And then um I got released from that team and picked up by the Wareham Gateman, also a great place. Um, it's actually not even on the Cape; it's like right outside the bridge. But um yeah, I met a really I met a lot of good guys like. And it's cool to see, like, you think you play with these dudes and you're never going to see them again. And then you hear about them a few years later. Like, I played with Joey Bard. He got picked second overall. Like, oh, yeah. I threw yeah. yeah, at the time, I had no idea. I'm pitching to this kid, Joey Bard. I'm like, all right, cool. Cool kid from Georgia Tech. Like, hung out with him a few times. And then, like, all of a sudden, last year, I hear him pick second overall. It's kind of weird. You know, that's, so, a, that's a great like, thing about those leagues is you – Yeah. You you know you, it is a small community. I mean, baseball. Yeah. It, it, when it comes to elite baseball, there is a small community, and you see those guys on the rise. And yeah, you're just it, you know it's it's funny when you go to a game. You're like you don't you know as a fan you don't like don't talk to that guy. He's on the other team. Like yeah, you know. But no, they hey they played yeah, ball yeah, together yeah. or they played you know in summer leagues together. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, Rich Smith, I played with him in Vermont, and he was he was a catcher. We hung out together every single day all summer, like really close. And I had no idea that he was playing with the um, the lug nuts in the Midwest League. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. We were at the game, and I had no idea. And I'm pitching, and I see Rich Smith come up. I'm like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is Rich Smith." <laughs> And like, I don't think he had any idea either. After after the game, he texted me. He was like, "Yeah, let's like hang out. I'm gonna come by. I'm at the hotel. You want to pick me up?" And we hung out for a little bit. It was nice to see him. Did the Lansing so, Lemonheads? Yeah, you had some yeah. uh, some extra scouting report on him then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it could have worked. But well, he caught me for a whole summer, so luckily oh, wow. a lot of things changed. Oh, so he had the book on you. He did. Yeah. Do you remember if you raked or did you get him? Yeah, uh, actually. I had my fastball curveball all summer, but I didn't have my changeup. I didn't. Th- I wasn't a big changeup guy in college, so I just threw him like three changeups, and he, he was like, "Damn, I didn't know." <laughs> I think he saw the first one. He was like, "Oh, I didn't know about that one." But uh, yeah, I think I don't. I'm not. I forget what he did. I think he he had a fly ball to right field. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if it was well hit or not. But yeah. so when you were at Manhattan College. Um, the team struggled to win games. I, I looked through your, your record. It looks like they went yeah. 11 and 17 in the 36 starts um, that you made there. Um, and compared to some people like Mackenzie Gore, for example, that dominated in high school, which you did as well. Um, when guys like that go into the pros, they struggle because they're faced with adversity. They're used to just blowing guys away. And then all of a sudden here's people they can hit when you're in Manhattan your team struggled. You had to battle. Do you think that gave you a bit of a leg up over some of the other guys? Um, I wouldn't say a leg up. It's definitely like mentally, it's definitely easier to deal with failure when you've, when you've failed before. Okay. So like me coming into pro ball, I knew, I knew right away that I wasn't going to go out and pitch well every single time. Like nobody does. But also when I did fail, I knew like this, my first full season, I had a really tough like first half of the year. And I feel like a lot of dudes were like coming up to me like, dude, it's all right. It's going to be all right. Like this, that. And like, I think they felt like I was worried or like I was upset, but I, I really never was. It was never like a, um, it was never like a huge problem to me when I wasn't, when I wasn't performing well, I knew, I knew what I could do. And I was confident that I was going to, I was going to pitch well eventually. So it really wasn't, it wasn't that stressful on me, honestly, when I wasn't doing well. So I think that was what helped me the most is that when I did fail, I knew how, how it felt and I knew that I could come back from it. So, yeah. And you hear that, Tom, you hear that in the major leagues, guys talk about like, you got to learn how to fail. Like three out of 10, you're an all-star, you know, three out of 10, you're going, you're going to the hall of fame. Um, Learning how to fail is such a, such an important part of the process of, of developing as a major league player, or, you know, as a minor league player, new major league player, like there's going to be days, you know, when you yeah. go over 25 and, and you're ripping the bat and you're making sawdust out of the thing, or, you know, you're over gripping the ball on the mound or anything like that. that that's yeah. huge um, to be able to do that and not have, you know, and have the coaches kind of the same way. I'm sure Bert Hooten just kind of let, let you fail. And Bert's, yeah. We love Bert's him. a really, yeah, Bert's a really good guy. He like, it was the weirdest thing with Bert. He was like saying this. He used to say the simplest things to me. Like he was like, why'd you do that for? I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm sorry. He's like, well then just like, don't do it again. I'm like, that's like, that makes so much sense, but it makes no sense at all. And it, it worked for me. So he would just say like, let's talk, talk. Thing. give us some more Bert stories, man. Cause it just seems like everyone we talk to, um, or Gabbage, it's, you know, Moser, it's like, it's not how much he says. It's what it's like. Less is more with him. And it's in his voice. His voice is the. Is, I don't know. Sometimes he just says stuff and it makes no sense. Like anybody, if somebody else said it, I'd be like, "What's this guy talking about?" When he says it, I'm like, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah." I I don't have a the, the most the a story I heard about Bert that like explains him the best is I don't know who this who was pitching. I don't know how long ago it was, but he came out to the mound and he was like, "Well, what, what are you doing?" The guy's like, "I'm trying to throw strikes." He's like, "I can get a truck driver out here to try. I need you to actually do it." <laughs> and like, I was, <laughs> and if you if Bert says that to you, you're like, "Damn, like this guy's like World Series champ." Like, yeah, time with the sword. All right, took I'm, a I'm, gonna actually, I'm gonna actually do it. <laughs> Well, uh, it, we have, and when you when you get into spring training, you're going to have the same thing with Coach uh, with Darren Balsley. He's one of those guys doesn't say much. He's very stoic, but what comes out of his mouth is like, 
okay, pitch better. And then you go out and you pitch better because he told you you pitch better. It's yeah, like, I, I see him make a mound genius, visit. It looks like he says three words to the guy and turns around and walks away. <laughs> I don't know. And I, yeah, and just like watching Bert watch baseball, it's so intense. Like he'll sit there, he will watch every single pitch. He knows everything that goes on, and he was he was an impressive he's an impressive guy to be around. And it was actually funny because my um my grandpa. My mom's dad, growing up, he was, he was from Brooklyn, and he was a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Yeah. So when they moved over to L.A., he was a big Dodgers fan. I don't – my grandpa passed away a while ago, so I don't really know this, but my mom said that like, he was a huge Burt Hooten fan. Yeah. <laughs> so he, like, always used to watch Burt and talk about Burt. It was funny that I actually – he was my pitching coach. It was weird. Huh. Well, That's real quick, cool. we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. You said was your pitching coach. So we, we, we think you're going to be up in Lake Elsinore next year, yeah? I have no idea. He can be my pitching coach again. I don't know. <laughs> I just met was like that. Well, we get up to Lake Elsinore I guess pretty regularly. So if if they happen to assign you there, we'll we'll try to make it up for a couple of your starts. But we're going to see you in spring training for sure. Um, so you got drafted on your birthday, right? Yeah. How cool was that? Did you have two cakes? <laughs> it was exciting. It was really exciting. Um, yeah, so it was the third day of the draft, I think. So the second day I was getting a couple calls and I was excited and I was like, and then they fell through and I was upset at first. I was like, damn, it would have been nice to get drafted to like top 10, whatever. But it doesn't matter at this point, obviously looking back on it. Then after the second day of the draft was over, I was like, you know what? I kind of knew I would have had, I have to, I had to get drafted on my birthday. So. <laughs> so talk about that. Where were you? What'd you do? Were you waiting? Did, where were you when you got drafted? I was just, it was just like me and my dad in my living room. My mom and my sister were around. I don't really think they um, – I don't think anybody was really watching too closely. But um, my dad was. My dad was watching real closely. I don't even think I was watching that closely. I was just kind of waiting by the phone, hanging out. But my dad was on the iPad watching every pick. So he um, he was he was the one who told me. He was like, yeah, you just, you just got drafted. So I was pretty pumped about it. Um, you got to move out, son. You just got drafted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Either get drafted or get a job, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So did you um to ask what were you gonna ask? <laughs> <laughs> so throughout college you uh you were a starter. Yeah. And you they had you do a little bit of relief work like when you were in the Arizona Summer League, um and I think a couple yeah. times in, in Fort Wayne. Um was that something that they prepped you for or was it just kinda you were thrown into it and how hard was that to adjust? I mean, yeah, I mean it wasn't it was never like I never thought about it as a big deal. I mean I was I definitely wasn't like prepped for it, but when I did it, I didn't feel I didn't feel uncomfortable or anything. Like whatever they decide to do with me, like I I really believe they have my best interest in mind, and they they know what I'm. Uh, they're gonna put me in a position to succeed. So if they want me to come out of the pen in the ninth inning, in the eighth inning, in the fourth inning, long relief closer, I don't really care. Starter. Um. Yeah, I'm comfortable with anything really. Um. I think. Definitely, when I did it for the first two or three times, it was definitely difficult. It was definitely different, but um, but they helped me out. Like my first time, they were like, "All right, you're definitely you're gonna be in soon." They gave me a good heads up. Not like a real bullpen guy when they just like run down and like get hot, get in the game. They helped me out a little bit with that, just because obviously I wasn't used to it. But yeah, I'm just I'd be excited to whenever they give me the ball, I'm excited to pitch. So do do you have a big a big routine on your on your game day when you know you're gonna pitch? Um, I, tr- I, I, I try to stay away from like huge routines that could like throw me off whether we're, cause sometimes when we're away, like it's tough in the hotel room or like food wise to like get everything you need. But I do have like a quick 30 minute routine, just like activation stuff. I don't, I'm not a big like weighted ball guy or anything, but a few like key stretches that I like to do and stuff. Other than that, nothing, nothing huge. Right, no superstitions. You're not like eating chicken wings in the dugout or anything. yeah, no, no, not like. I well, need, well like, but, but I asked that because I I know that like Joey Lucchese, when he got called up, it was at a moment's notice, and when he came yeah. up, it, it threw him out of his rhythm. And even though that was going to yeah. be his day to start in, I think it was in El Paso, um, it still he didn't have all the right equipment yeah. like for stretching out. He uses these flexible, um, yeah, like this this rod that that like a fiberglass-weighted rod thing. Um, And so because he wasn't able to go through his whole routine, his first start kind of went south 
on top yeah. of having all the pressure on top of him. On top of being yeah. a course field, on top of it being yeah, raining. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh, no, 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 you're thinking of Lauer. I'm thinking of Lauer. Because Lucchese made his first start at home. Yeah, that's right. I was there. I was there, too. We were there together. <laughs> hey, real quick, and this is something that we don't really ask about, but so how developing in – so you're in A ball – the beginning of the start, do they say, okay, we want you to throw more fastballs today, or we want you to, hey, can you work in that knuckleball? Or, you know, do, you, do they have you work on certain pitches throughout the start, or do you just say, hey, I got this working, or this is what I'm working on? How does that work? How does the development side of a pitcher work in A-ball, kind of? Yeah, the actual, the, like, my actual start date, or, like, bullpens and, like, the well, preparation. Just like, okay, today, you're, yeah, your start, like, hey, you're starting against Lansing Lugnuts, uh, pitch these, th- you know, throw these pitches, or... Yeah, so, so at least where I was last year with the tin caps. Um, so it was never, it was never too much like on the actual day of the start. Like if I was throwing my bullpen on Wednesday and I was starting on Saturday, it would, it, it's more of just like the preparation on Wednesday. So, and it, it's more based off the, the week before rather than the team we're playing that week. So it's more on like personal development and like what works for me best rather than like work, what works against the team we're playing best. You know what okay. I mean? So I'm sure it's different at the big league level. Like you're you're really you're really just pitching to win. You're pitching against the other team more than you're pitching for yourself. So I felt that like for me and for me at least, like it was more about what works for me rather than what works against the team, as I said. Yeah. So and it was really nothing the day of the start. So whoever was catching that day, me and him would go and have a meeting with AC and Burr before the game, went through the lineup, went through like who the runners were who hits for power, righties or lefties, that kind of thing. But it was – and we and we saw the scouting reports from other teams, like okay. obviously like hot and cold zones and stuff. But I feel like at A-ball with me and the catcher, whoever it was, Jimmy, Jalen, Siegel, it was more of just like what was working for me. So we would pitch off my strengths yeah. pretty much that day. And, 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 again, like I had a lot of good catchers in Fort Wayne and in uh, – um, tri-cities so it was just like especially me like i was trying to the catchers know i trust i trust the catchers so they they were right. more of my direction rather than bird or ac in my ear during the game it was never it was never anything like that so were the catchers calling the game yeah the catchers call the game and you would work up a game plan with the with the catcher before the game yeah for sure so me and Jalen, or me and chimmy who's or chimmy? whoever what campus oh <laughs> um juan fernandez oh okay <laughs> Jimmy, sorry, we'll have yeah, to write or, that one down. I'll talk to you. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> heard sorry. that one before. Jimmy <laughs> and Campy and Jim. Yeah, Campusano, yeah, Siegel, whoever it was, we would sit down before the game for like 10 minutes at most. And by the second half of the season, we faced all these guys already most of the time. So Jalen was really good with it. Jalen would come back in the dugout after every inning and like write stuff down on each hitter. And uh, yeah, it was really impressive. Jalen's really good with that stuff. So like even when I – to a fault, I didn't really remember what happened when I faced this hitter last time we faced them. Jalen had it in his notebook, and it was really great. Oh, wow. Nice. That's good preparation. So yeah, Jalen's really good at that stuff. Have you picked anything up from other coaches or other players, Any like whether it's an approach or a mechanical thing or anything like that, or even an exercise routine? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, Bert was – obviously, Bert's old school, so – he was really, like I said, he says the simplest things, but if you actually think about what he's saying, it makes so much sense. So, like, Bert had a really good curveball, obviously, when he played. And um, he helped me a lot with – we throw different curveballs. Obviously, he's a righty on the lefty, just different different grips and stuff. But he really helped me with, um, like I said before, like how to throw it off my fastball, how to throw it off good pitches. And if I make a bad pitch with my fastball, how to help make it the last pitch better with my curveball and that stuff. And then, um, like you guys said before, we have a really deep minor league system with a lot of good left-handed pitchers. And um, I think I guess a lot of people would think that makes it harder for like a pitcher like me who's maybe not as exposed or not as high-profiled as other kids. But I actually see it as an advantage. I, um, I learned a lot from like Nick Margavich's, Slacer, Gore, like all those dudes. Morahone, like it's I'm so lucky to be able to like watch them in person and watch them prep for their starts every week like nice. what they go through and i think i think they really push me to be better and stuff so i'm really lucky to be able to, to play with them and be able to compete with them so 
So your curveball, <laughs> do do you use a traditional grip? Do you spike it? Do you have a finger off? What do you what do you do? Um, I have a I think I have a pretty weird grip. I um I like squeeze it in between these two fingers, my ring finger and my middle finger, and then I spike it. Um, I think oh. it's a pretty unconventional grip. Um, yeah, I, think I, don't know. I think most people that grip it with a spike, they just use the middle finger, right? Yeah, I um more like a knuckle. I, we 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 have the yeah, poor connection again, a, so we. I have a ball somewhere here. Hold on. Uh, we, so, we we can't we can't see it, so we got to use our oh. imagination a little bit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's pretty much like I can pretty much I can hold it in between my ring finger and middle finger without any other finger. So it's it's really it's like a really high pressure grip. The so, same thing with my fastball and my changeup. I'm like I'm not great at um. I'm not great at like wrist movements and stuff, so I like my I like tight grips and like a lot of friction on the baseball. Nice for those of you guys that are listening at home. Uh, he has a really nice grip of a curveball. I just thought I'd give it <laughs> we just have to use our. I've, I've got a ball here in my hand, and I'm trying to figure out what what we got going. Yeah, so on. if that ring finger went on the bottom of that seam, that would be okay. The ring, yeah, your ring finger on the on the other seam, the one below it, yeah. It's it's, it's he, he it's plays really, softball, so he, he's, he's like, <laughs> well. I'm sure I'm sure your I'm, hands are lefty, so your hands are probably a little bigger than mine wrapping yeah, around something that something like thing. this. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, curve, oh okay. Curve. Okay. So that hey, so I caught actually I caught the last start. I've caught a couple of your starts over the uh, over last season, but I certainly caught that last start you pitched against West Michigan, and what a gem, dude! Seven innings, seven Ks, one earned run. Um, horrible ending of that game just a really a freak yeah i mean by the end yeah. of that game i was like okay if if caps lose it's it's okay it was just a phenomenal game and to have that ball bounce off uh i can't remember who was pitching bounce off the pitcher i think it bounced off owen miller's yeah. glove in, in second base it was like tick, tick, yeah into the outfield and it was a game yeah it hit both miller's glove i think miller was pitching it hit his glove and then it hit owen miller's glove and then i don't know talk, yeah, about, was, talk about that start you had a deal you were dealing that game yeah, I, I felt I felt really good. I think going into the game, I was like, I was just really excited that I was able to pitch that game because I think I was uh, originally I was scheduled to. Um, I think I I think it was a day earlier than my start was supposed to be. So I was excited that they they like kind of. I think I was kind of like designed to pitch that game. I was one of the only pitchers that was there all year, pitching all year. So I think that they they were they wanted somebody to start the year to to, to finish it. So I think. Yeah. I think that they um, they had me pitch. It was really it was really an honor. I was excited, and um, I really wanted to pitch that day. So I kind of just went out there, and I wasn't trying to do too much because I, I had a pretty good string of starts going. So I was feeling I was feeling good, and I pitched against West Michigan a few times before that. So yeah, I was excited up until the seventh inning when I gave up that run. I kind of yeah, but dude, I mean, come on, one run in seven yeah. innings in in a ball. What? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other thing I was excited about. I was able to I was able to get a little longer leash. They kept rolling me out there, which was good. Um, yeah, I felt really good that day, and um, yeah, it was it was really exciting. It was like a an actual high pressure game, and we needed to win, and everybody wanted to win. Yeah. Coaches wanted to win, so it was really it was really good. So I've I've looked through your numbers, and it looks like you give up a very small number of of home runs. Um, and not a ton of hits. What do you do to keep the ball from getting up in the air? Is that just because you because you're a curveball heavy pitcher? I don't think so. Um, I um, I think my curveball definitely has something to do with it. But I think um, I think I have good downward action on my fastball. I kind of have like a really over the top, uh, kind of come over the top angle. So um, yeah. So I think I keep the ball down well and um, definitely. Definitely, um, definitely my curveball. It's more of a ground ball pitch for me. I, right. I see lefties, righties and lefties roll over on it a lot. But um, yeah. And over the last twenty-four innings, you had what, three runs allowed, twenty hits, only six walks, and twenty-nine strikeouts. That's the last six starts were just incredible. Was that was there um, was it just you know the end of the season? You're kind of in mid-season form when you were doing so well, or was it some of the stuff maybe you're working on during the season that started to click or? Uh, you know, do you know of any any idea what caused you to do so well the last six starts? I don't. I don't think it was anything physically. I think I had my. I think I had my same fastball, my same same curveball, my same changeup. I just think that 
it was kind of I had more of an idea of what I was trying to do every start. I had more of a routine in between starts, and um, and I just really I really knew what I was trying to do every game, and I knew what I was doing every single day up until my start. And I think at the beginning of the year, I kind of uh, I didn't have the best routine. Right. I was kind of more just like. Even that, even the previous off season, last off season, I was just like, all right, I know I got to do this, I know I got to do this, but I really didn't have, I didn't really have an idea of why I was doing it and my purpose. So, right. towards the end of the year, I really had a purpose every single day. I knew what I was doing, and not only did I know what I was doing that day, I knew why I was doing it, and I knew what I was trying to accomplish. So I kind of tried to work that into my off season too. So. Yeah, I think it was just more like intent and purpose in nice. every single day rather than just going through the motions. Nice. All right, so spring training coming up. You're reporting in what, a week and a half? Um, do you have any, any expectations or any goals as you roll into spring training? Um, no, no expectations, but just, just definitely goals that I set for myself, which pretty much just – just be the best that I can. I don't know. I can't. There's a lot of oh, so many things in baseball that you can't control, like where I'm going to play this year, and pretty much there's so many little things you can't control. You can't even control what the other team's going to do against you. I just sort of try to pitch my best and put my best effort in every day and see wherever uh, wherever that takes me. It's going to be good enough for me. So. Dude, and soak it up. There are like every pitching coach is there. You have all the major league. So are you showing up on the 12th with all the pitchers and catchers? Or are you as a minor league you showing up a little bit later? No, I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm flying out the 17th, okay. and um, I think I'm gonna be in mini camp with the minor league side. So, Dude, well, we're gonna be I there. Think that starts up the 18th. We're gonna be there uh, the 14th, 16th, uh, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, the second week of March. Uh, okay. We should see you there, and uh, we should see you. They've been giving us granted us a little bit of the access to the minor leaguers, so we're gonna be talking to a couple of guys. We're definitely gonna say sure. hey to you. Uh, don't big league us. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never. Dude, say what's up. You gotta, you gotta really get with. I, I, I don't know. Bust on Moser because he has the like. He's like, I really hate odd numbers. Like his dad texted us. He's like, ask him about the odd number thing. And, uh, you know, it's just, I gotta get one of those. Yeah, I gotta get something. Like that. You gotta get those guys a hard time. Tell them we say hi. Uh, tell them, and we'll see those guys later For on. Sure. Hey, um, is there anything you wanted to bring up? Uh, anything you're working on? Any 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 camps? Uh, anything you wanted to do, uh, to plug while you're uh, while you're here? Not much, but one of my best friends from college runs a um, a baseball store down in Miami. He is from the, uh, he he lives in Miami. He's from Miami. The baseball club. He's like doing this really great thing. He's taking a bunch of kids from. South Africa, like Uganda, all these places, and he's like teaching them a game of baseball. He's doing a really great job. It's really impressive. He's been sending me videos, like going down to Uganda, giving kids gloves and stuff. And these kids have never seen baseball in their life, and he's teaching them the game of baseball. It's awesome. Well, Team South Africa plays in the World Baseball Classic. Do you have a website for that? Yeah, the Baseball Club. Thebaseballclub.com. Yeah, yep. that reminds me. I just saw a thing. It's in the, a little league museum somewhere. They have this glove that this kid made. It was it, it was in Africa, and he just based off what he'd seen in pictures, made this thing out of cardboard and thread and tape, and he cut out a picture of a baseball card and and stuck that on there. <laughs> and so this is not in the museum. It's really cool. But I mean, you think and you hear about the stories about like kids growing up in the Dominican and right. stuff using a, a milk jug. Yeah, right. For yeah. a glove, and and now that's kind of where it is in Africa, where it's a developing. Yeah, this kid. Yeah, this kid saw baseball on TV once, like watches it a couple of times. Never played. My friend went down to Uganda, gave him a glove. He's throwing on a dirt floor with no shoes and just like pumping with his new glove he got. He was like super excited. It was nice to watch. Yeah, that's that's freaking awesome. Very cool. Yeah, it was awesome. So. Well, Tom, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you're back in New York. It's uh, going 10 o'clock. Back in New York. We appreciate you coming on, and we'll see you in spring training. Oh, and congratulations right, to your dad for winning that pool. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, bud. Take care. All right. Another cool interview, dude. <laughs> yeah, that was great. You know, everybody that we talk to is so they're they're interesting. They've they've got some color. They they tell us the story behind what they're doing. Yeah. Um. You know, I I like how he was talking about how he's got a plan and working on developing things. Um. 
Dude, and the Burt Hooten stories. I just love talking to these guys that are in, in Fort Wayne. That was and so the cool. Burt that, that his story, grandpa... Like, he doesn't say much, but what he says, it's kind of like cliches. Like He's like, you work it if you work it. You know, it sounds stupid, but if you think about it, if, you know, it works if you work it, you know, and like, who's like, what are we trying to do there? Uh, throw strikes. I get a try, trying to throw strikes. I get a truck driver to come in here and try to throw strikes, throw strikes. Okay. That's kind of like Yoda. Dude, do or do not. There is, is no try. There is no try. There's yeah. No do or do not. Um, you know, you're growing up in Manhattan, growing up a Mets fan in Yankees territory. I just, I love that. My my wife's a Mets fan. Well, I like the part that his grandpa was a big Burt Hooten fan. Yeah. So, it, you know, if only his grandpa could have stuck around because then he could have, you know, introduced him. Yeah. How cool would that be? And your dad and his grandpa would have been geeking out like, Burt Hooten. Yeah. You better, you know, have a grandpa, <laughs> like, you better listen to him. He, he won the World Series for us. Um, that's, that's so cool. Um. What another, another great interview. Another great interview coming up here with Ty France. Um, thanks again, Tom, for coming out. We're going to talk to you in spring training and uh, give Gabe some grief. Uh, give Mags give some grief. Uh, and uh, God, that's you know that's just another great interview. I, and I love talking to these guys in the off season. Mm-hmm. There's personality that comes out. It's not the canned answers. You know, we're getting we're getting thoughtful, thought out answers to questions that we're asking the development stuff was i was has been something that i've been forgetting to ask about mm-hmm. is like because you always talk about it you read about it you hear about it on all these evaluators well they're developing they don't really care about winning well you heard from him he's like hell yeah it was the last game of the season we needed a win i wanted the ball we wanted the win it sucked when we didn't and the development side's like we you know we're not necessarily working on specific things during the game but during my bullpen, I'll work on stuff and then work with the catcher. You know, they don't, they have a game plan, but it's not like, okay, you're going to throw, you know, just dominate with the fastball and then use the curveball. Hooten came out and says, this is how you throw your curveball better and because your fastball sucks. Well, but I like I also like the fact that during fall instructs, yeah. they were using the Rapsodo machine yeah. and trying to figure out what axis the the ball's spinning on mm. because you can have a high spin rate pitch that doesn't do what you want it to do it's a matter of getting it spinning in the right orientation and coming out of your hand right so being able to apply that technology he just had a really good season last year yeah so absolutely. now if he learned a little bit about okay well if i just do this a little different then i'm going to get more break or i'm going to be able to command it a little bit better and that's that's what it's about about trying to improve yeah developing yep all right, All right, so there we go. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> that's a wrap for that one. We're going to come right back. Well, no, we're not. No, we're, we're going to cut it off here. We're cutting it off. Um, we are going to talk to Ty France next, but we're going to save that for our next show because we're right at an hour. Yeah. We didn't want to bore you guys with our yapping, but, but we got more players but There's a little tease, so you have to listen to the next one next yeah. week. Cue the music. <laughs> Wait, but you got you to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Donovan. Oh, yes. Jesus. It's been a long day. Um, You can meet me. You can reach me on Twitter at SD Donovan. And I am at Zippy underscore TMS. All right. Go Padres. Go Padres. Go Padres.